to the Skeptic Wire. Episode 114 of The Skeptic Wire for the 12th of June, 2013. I'm your host, Gary Lawn, and with me this week, as per normal, are Donna Swafford. Hello, hello, hello. I'm not <laughs> going to try the Greg... funny statement again. I'm just not. <laughs> okay. Again? I this is the first time we're doing it, Donna. Yeah, bite me. <laughs> yeah, this this is a non-edited podcast. <laughs> and Greg Perrine. Hi, how you doing? I'm a stupid monkey. <laughs> No, just and with us this week uh, is George Harab. Hi, guys. What's going on? What's going down? How's everybody doing? We're doing pretty good, especially because you are our guest. And according to The Onion, 250 million Americans still need guests on their podcast this week. We are not one of those. And there's only, what, 320 million people in the United States? That's a lot of podcasts out there. And considering we almost never do guest interviews, that's that's pretty good for us. I'd actually guess that number is kind of low for podcasts. <laughs> it's, what's the what's the internet rule number five that for everything that's out there, there's a website for it. Now you apply that to podcasts and times a thousand because skeptical podcasts are there's probably a good eighty or hundred out there. I think last time Tim Farley counted. Why don't we figure, find out? Whose birthday it is today? Birthday, yay! Somebody alive? <laughs> Actually, yes. They're in in special uh, recognition of our guestitude, which is uh, George, musician, podcastery person. Um, I have two people that were born today that are both musicians and both skeptically, secularly, non secularly related to different. Okay, can, can I'm not explaining this well. At all? <laughs> <laughs> They're two different people. They're related to secularism and skepticism in two completely different ways. But they were both born today, June 12th. One was born uh, 1941. The other is 1959. They are both keyboardists. Any guesses? Uh, oh, gosh. Clues? I'll take that as a no. Um, one Brian Eno. Is, Brian Eno? N- yeah. No, not the, no. as far as I know. Okay. W- okay, the first one born in 1941 is a very famous jazz pianist who, um, one of the various collaborations he's had, and he's had very many coming from Miles Davis to um, a lot of the jazz greats to Bela Fleck. I wouldn't be surprised if he's played with Big Bird. Um, he is uh, quoted as saying that L. Ron Hubbard Shakria. is a great composer. Shakria. Exactly. Very good. George is queen of the podcast, at least until someone <laughs> guesses the next one. Uh, really? Yes, His birthday is uh, June 12th? Wow, okay. That's good to yep. know. That's good to know. Apparently, he was a big fan of L. Ron Hubbard, besides just being a Scientologist. He also played in L. Ron Hubbard's... Um, 1982 album Space Jazz, the soundtrack of the book Battlefield Earth. 
which if anybody's seen it, is one of the worst movies of all time. But he also recorded an album called uh, To the Stars that was done about six or seven years ago when he reunited the Electric Band. The Electric Band was an ensemble that was pretty influential in the, in the late 80s. Uh, he reunited the original members of that band and recorded an album called To the Stars, which is based on L. Ron Hubbard's recordings, uh, writings. rather. The album's really cool. The writings are garbage, but the, but the album's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> it makes me very glad that Chick Corea does instrumental music. And doesn't write lyrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to the other birthday, June 12th, 1959. Someone better known for very witty lyrics as part of a duo out of New York City. More hint, please. Oh. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Simon, no, wait. 59. Is, is it one of the Steely Dan boys? No. All right. Not, not one of the... uh, he, he's, I said he was a keyboardist, but and I was being a little liberal with that because a lot of times he plays accordion. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Weird Al Yankovic? <laughs> no. The guy from <laughs> They Might Be Giants. Um, yes. Ah, hold on, hold on. John Linnell. Fool. John Linnell, oh, that's correct. Cool. So the non-musician gets it. For now, until we do it. the lightning round, Donna and George will share Queen of the Podcast duties. I'm a he can have the crown as long as I get the sash. <laughs> you always get the sash. Why do you always get the sash? Fine, I'll wear the crown this time. Oh, goody. Yeah. So you guys are going to fight over the, the orb thing with the little plus sign on top of it? <laughs> okay, what? nobody knows what I'm talking the, about. The Let's plus sign? I think that, yeah, I don't think that's math-based, that, that particular okay. scepter. <laughs> okay, maybe it's more of a cross, but it maybe. doesn't have the elongated bottom of... Um, of a traditional cross. Yeah, it's from Midget Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that explains every... Explains everything. You know, cross hanging on the wall of every Catholic in this nation. Right. Yeah. Not only was Jesus white, he was incredibly tiny. Yeah. It's like a Smurf cross. <laughs> Christy Smurf. I guess that's why you, you always have to eat the body, because, you know, he's just small, so he wanted to expand a little bit. Nope, don't worry about me. <laughs> Yeah, those those crackers are really dry, so you have to wet them up with saliva to expand them. It makes sure. perfect sense in physics. Yeah, but but going back to Chick Corea, it kind of makes me wonder if if the rest of his band was, which would be a big disappointment if like uh, Weckl and Patitucci were also sound. Uh, no, Patitucci's a big time Christian actually. Patitucci's oh. a really big uh, yeah, apparently. Uh, Weckl Weckl I think is agnostic, but I'm not sure. But I know Patitucci is a big time Christian. But apparently it's just not an issue in the band. Yeah, as well it should be. Or it shouldn't be. Yeah. That's the way yeah, it Fortunately, be. they can all get along. <laughs> Though it's one of those things where it, you have that kind of deep-seated gut reaction, like when you find out just how crazy Mel Gibson is or uh, Tom Cruise, you find out just how deep-seated their weirdness is, and sometimes you're like, well, do I go to see his new movie? Do I enjoy his art separating the fact that there's this nutty cognitive dissonance corner that they keep some stuff? Sure you do. <laughs> okay, I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> well, you should because you're not just supporting them. You're supporting all of the directors and the cameramen and the, the gaffers and all of that jazz. Look at it that way. You're helping put people to work. Yeah. Okay, good argument. You have to read Lawrence Wright's book, new book about Scientology. It's so incredibly fascinating. It's really, really well written. 
just about the whole history of it. It's 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 mind numbing how crazy that whole story is. <laughs> but it's awesome. It's really well done. It's very balanced. It's actually very balanced the way he approaches it, sort of saying, "This is what L. Ron Howard claims. This is what sort of you know what do you call it history claims." But uh, it's, he never sort of says that they're lying or that they're misrepresenting. They're always like, this is their story, this is another story. You know, versions, competing versions of truths, and you get to kind of decide which, you know, where the evidence lies in your opinion as the reader. It's really, really well, well done. It's called Going Clear. Going Check it out. Clear. Very cool. So, speaking of arguments, I'm going to start an argument with George Robb. No, you're not. I don't, th- I don't think the blues are such a bad thing. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so much for. We are all entitled to our wrong opinions. It's totally fine. Well, what do you, well, how, how would you define blues? What's your What's your definition of blue, not bad blues? Okay. The simple fact that the twelve bar blues is something that virtually any musician of any type, whether you're rock or folk or maybe not so much classical, whatever, that if Two musicians, or even worse, five musicians sit down in a room and they don't know each other and don't know each other's musical style. Like when you and I sat down a couple of years ago at the Texas Freethought Convention, George, and you know I don't know Rush or Yes songs, and you don't really know folk or you know jam band songs very well, but we both knew the Twelve Bar Blues, so we could do something together. Yeah, but you that, but you that, prove you prove your point you prove my point actually. That's like you and me sitting down and saying, okay, you know the alphabet and I know the alphabet, so we're going to alternate letters and this will be an <laughs> awesome piece of literature. And it's not. It's not. It's just rote rehashing of something which is done a billion times. I concur. Okay, I'm coming from more of a kumbaya side of at least it's something we all have in common. No, that's but, fine. Yeah, but that's not the question. Yeah. The question is, is it good? Because right. we could just we could we could also both say hey do you know an E chord and I can go yeah I know an E chord and we can just sit and play an E chord for an hour <laughs> that's true I I agree with the sentiments you've said in the past of it's hard to do it well <clears throat> because it's been done so much and so often it's not even hard to do it well it's it's actually easy to do it well that's the problem it's <laughs> not hard to do it well it's 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 hard to make it interesting it's hard to make it musically interesting. At this point in 2013, let alone in 1980 or 1950, you know it's and, difficult and to do to make it to make it worthwhile. Yeah, and if you've, uh, you, I know George has probably done this, and I've certainly done it uh, as well. Um, if you've been playing drums behind uh, two guitarists who are playing 12-bar blues for 15 minutes, uh, it sucks because there's only so many <laughs> ways you can go. To, <laughs> boring. I mean, look, it's there's all kinds. I mean, there's 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 all kinds of different boring or repetitive things that happen. And you know, if your job is the drummer, then that's your job, and you got to do it. But to sure. me, just it's so completely overdone. And and I don't even mind that it's overdone. I don't mind that people do it. I don't mind that people enjoy it or that there's so much of it. The thing I mind is that it's it has this reputation as being somehow intrinsically more authentic than another style mm. that it gets it gets grouped with jazz and blues 
You know, oh, it's a jazz and blues thing. Oh, yeah, I love jazz. I love blues. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, they're different <laughs> They're different animals. They're very, very different animals. And that's the thing that bothers me the most, is no one is ever going to say they don't like the blues because they think it's it's somehow imbued with this significance, which it just doesn't, it doesn't deserve. It's a building block. I understand its place within the pantheon of musical structuring and the musical output of the American art, you know, uh, uh, idea. I get it. I understand that. But, you know, it, 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 it has this significance and this cash that just it doesn't, it doesn't deserve anymore. And it's just like, move on. If you want to, so or not. Of, I mean, you don't have to, but just in terms of its reputation. So kind of like how no one's ever going to say, oh, I hate Bach. Bach is horrible. Yeah, exactly. But if you listen to the well-tempered clavier, it's kind of boring as hell. Oh yeah, I mean that's like any 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 style of music, no matter what you love. I mean any any one type of thing, one type of artist, one type of style. After a while, it's just gonna it's just gonna be done. You know that's why the interesting, the most interesting musics are the ones that are on the borders between styles, between genres. That's the stuff that's interesting that then becomes its own sort of genre. So yeah, that's that's inherently true of any style of any of anything really. You watch fifteen horror movies in a row, by the end, you know you're gonna want to watch The Notebook. It's just that's the way it goes, you know. <laughs> Donna, watching The Notebook. Yeah, I'm so just, you. I'm agreeing with him. <laughs> Oh, phew. The, oh, nobody right. was horrible. You can, you can have the, the sash book, back, the sash back. <laughs> Though Donna has a special place in her heart where she severely hates the movie VHS. Apparently, do we really want to go down that road? Wait, again? Oh, that horror thing from like from last year. Yes. <laughs> Technically wise, it is the largest piece of crap I've ever seen in my life. And the story isn't that interesting, but it's like most, quote, torture porns in that it's just blood and guts and, and everything else. You know, you want truly interesting torture porn, you have to go back to Saw because they were the ones that invented it. And now everybody's just kind of gotten road about it. And I, I guess that's kind of what you're saying about the blues. Yeah, if, if we could use Saw type devices on people that enjoy playing the blues, that would be great. <laughs> I'm all for that. I okay, agree. Cross off recording a blues album with George Robb <laughs> off my bucket list. <laughs> that might be a big coup if you could do that, Greg. <laughs> don't tell him it's a blues song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Hmm. So uh, one of the features we... Okay, I was going to talk about something else, but I'm going to switch back to what something else I wanted to talk about. I just started what I was going to ask you about with so... And it is often, when we go through editing these podcasts, really hard to hear yourself say so about 500 times during a podcast, or like, or you know, or anything or, like uh, that. I'm curious, <laughs> or us, I'm curious how you've been able to, because I've he heard you talk extemporaneously on other shows, how you've been able to train yourself away from using that quite so much. Well, there have been there have been junctures of or times when I've recorded the, the cast that I have had little signs on my desk with words and the big "do not" you know cross out sign. I say I say again a lot, which is very annoying. So I'll start up I'll start a note with a secondary point by saying again. I don't mean to blah, 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 or again, <laughs> and it got really annoying. So I had a little sign that said again with the Ghostbusters cross out sign on it. You know, like be aware, you jerk, you do this and you suck. Stop it. 
it's just it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's it's just a question of kind of being being aware, being cognizant of what you are saying, what you what you are attempting to say, and in that first second or two of creating a thought to really take what what to you internally might feel like a huge pause can really give you a chance to take a second and be able to start something a sentence a thought an idea without it having sounding like you've just repeated the thing or you're using a stock starting place starting block you know stock sort of sentence or something so it's 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 like anything it's it's the pain of listening to yourself which can be quite torturous sometimes and and honestly realizing oh this is a thing i do i need to be cognizant of it and stop it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know uh, the the poet uh, Taylor Malley, who had a, a viral video called "What Teachers Make." Uh, he had an interview where he he was saying exactly what what you're saying, paying attention to what to, to the words you're going to use and have the pause rather than filling it up with "us" and "sos" and "agains." Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you look at Christopher Hitchens, and no one's ever going to speak as well extemporaneously as he did. So mm-hmm. you you have to sort of give yourself a break, too, and realize, okay, there are a handful of human beings on this planet that can, and they're usually English, which is so annoying because it just sounds so <laughs> awesome, whether it's Stephen Fry or Christopher Hitchens or something, that can just speak extemporaneously and sound like they're reading the last chapter of a book they've taken 20 years to write. All that with the sexy and accent. And the sexy accent, yeah. So, which I think I think is probably eighty percent of it, anyway. <laughs> Could be, maybe maybe they're they're actually putting in the us and ums, and we just gloss over it because we're enthralled by the by the accent. Sure, sure. It's like a, a tidal wave of eloquence. <laughs> exactly. Because I know so we, we on the podcast we use actually a lot, and what's what's the other one we we use the I use essentially a lot. Essentially. Unfortunately. Mm. Unfortunately. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's, it's the same as, as writing. You go and you write, you know, a thousand words, and you go back and you realize, oh, I've used this phrase 19 times. Mm-hmm. I have to stop doing that. So you have to go back and edit. But we can kind of do it in real time, hopefully. You can at least plan out, and some of the things, like when you do a sketch, you can plan out exactly what you're saying. As opposed to the beginning of the show when you're just kind of talking about a story of your week. Oh, sure. Yeah, sketches are always written out, especially multiple character sketches, because you have to you have to do the multiple characters, and you know each each guy gets his own take. You essentially stay sort of in character as best as you can, uh, unless you're a genius like Phil Hendry who can do it you know in real time. But I'm nowhere near that talented. So oh come on, so you're not moving your head back and forth between two different mics. The ah. Oh. The image is yeah, broken. Yeah, is that it? It's ruined forever now, right? <laughs> You've explained the rainbow, George. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's me. <laughs> me and Dick Doc. That's it. So explain the rainbow a little bit more in of, you know, Gary and I both are musicians. Uh, Donna's a filmmaker, so it's a slightly different technique. But when you sit down to write a new song... Either you've got an idea or a lyric or a general theme. I'm curious kind of how you sit down and start your process. Yeah, that's one of those <laughs> questions which is very difficult to answer because it, the stock answer, sort of if I knew if I knew what the process was, I wouldn't be talking to you guys. I'd be I'd be writing songs. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the stock answer. Like I, you, you really well, for, don't for example, know. For example? 
Yeah, for for example, let's let's just give an example. Um, we do a song challenge every couple of week um, weeks, <laughs> weeks. <laughs> months. months. That would kill us. A <laughs> couple of months, and so like the, this this terms song challenge, we're supposed to have a specific name, title, which was uh, in America you have the right to be stupid, and then we have to have three lyrics, sweet and low, punctuation differentiation. And put down that metaphor. <laughs> so we have to craft a song around those three lyrics and the general title slash theme. Right. If if that was your challenge, kind of how would you kind of tackle that? Oh boy, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a jumping through hoops kind of thing. That is, it's really it's really difficult to get the art out of something <laughs> like that. But um, you know, that to me would almost be like writing a theme song for someone or writing a commercial. As opposed mm-hmm. to writing something that would be intrinsically mine, because you, you know it, it, that's a song challenge to be able to do. So, yeah, I would try to find some connecting theme between those things, an overarching idea that could connect them, probably in some bizarre way and in not some way that's like a cheat. You know, of I saw a homeless, crazy homeless person talking to right. himself, and he said, you know, blah. Um, yeah, sort of, and then just start start sketching Using the word in the sentence. <laughs> yeah, you know the spelling bee kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, and then just try to try to find some connective material, and then usually, you know, the big, the blank sheet of paper. Literally, sometimes the blank sheet of paper is a good place to start, and you just start writing. You just sort of, you know, string words together, strings ideas, string ideas together. To, to me, that to me, the the most difficult thing, the most the largest challenge at any point is the idea is the concept what am i writing about you know what is this uh, what is this song going to be about what's the idea once i get the idea the details to me are way easier and that's the fun part that's like that's like finishing the puzzle you know you have to sort of get the idea of what's on the, what's on the box and once you know that this is a, a, a still life of fruit then you go about putting those pieces together so for me, the difficult part is determining what is the what is the equivalent of the still life of fruit. Oh, this is going to be a song about, you know, X. This is a song about, you know, someone who doesn't know how to give a speech. Oh, okay, cool. Now that that was the hard part, you know, because it's it's easy to write, you know, a love song or a sad song or a whatever. But the hook, the idea, and not the literal hook, but the the thing that that brings you into the tune. You know, that's why when I read about, you know, uh, uh, Sviatoslav Richter, who's a famous pianist uh, from the 60s and, and, and 70s, you know, there's this myth that whenever he performed, he had a plastic lobster just out of the audience's view because it gave him comfort. Like, I read that, and that's like, that's a song. Like, I, okay, great. Here we go. Write a song about that. And then you just start listing stuff. Like, okay, what is this? Oh, is it obsessive-compulsive? Is it? Is that lobster some kind of alien? Is that, like, what's the story? Did his mom give him that lobster? Like, what's the deal? Those are the details. That's fun. That's easy. And then you get a song like Sviatoslav Lobster, which was on Trebuchet, my last yeah. album, which ends up being that, like, you know, this, it's from the perspective of the lobster who's saying, like, you think you're talented. You have no talent without me. Like, I'm, I should be the acclaimed pianist not you and then it's like the song i don't want to say the song writes itself but the song then is there laid out for you but if i hadn't found that little bit of trivia mm-hmm. in some deep deep wiki recess of a you know a 45 minute web uh 2 a.m searching party 
because I wanted to know, you know, why are the black keys black and the white keys are white? And you end up on Stratislaw Richter's, you know, wiki, wiki page. If I ended up there, that song would never have happened. You know what I mean? So it's got to be this weird archaeological yeah. almost dig where you just are open to finding whatever might inspire the subsequent songwriting experience or the or the whatever you know the video i mean i have ideas for for sketches that happens all the time where you uh have a conversation or something or just have a have a singular thought you know and the singular thought of like wow wouldn't it be funny if vikings burn boats for every occasion not just funerals okay great i don't know like you know it's a conversation with someone or it's an idea that you see and there's this image of for every every occasion that a viking has whether it's graduation or dinner or you know uh completing a book you burn a boat okay then write the sketch you know what i mean like then that's the easy part you know so it sounds like uh some of the process is once you've got that idea just starting to throw out words on the paper and then eventually there comes that eureka moment of oh wait a minute not only is that the concept but here's the punchline or here's the twist the m night Shyamalan twist that makes the song Oh, okay. Now it's right. really cool, and then you get that inspiration, and then you got to figure out, all right, how how do I write a melody to this? Yeah, yeah. Or hopefully right. you've been you've been diddling around with some other bits of just music, let's say. So you've got a cool chord progression or a cool riff that you've kind of stored somewhere, and it's way in the back of your brain, and it's way in the back of the the little suitcase of tricks that you have, you know, or or suitcase of riffs or licks. Maybe they're literally recorded, maybe they're just written down, maybe they're just floating around in your in your mind or in your fingertips. And you go, Oh wait, this that little riff might work and then you kind of go, Oh, here's the here's the multiple syllable idea that is gonna fit. Oof, I just changed that last eighth note to, you know, two sixteenths, this will totally work. And that's how it and that's how it goes. So it's it's very rarely I am gonna sit down and write a song. There are people that can do that, and and I, I it's it's so impressive. You know, people that write movie scores, it's it's mind-boggling how how difficult that is, and how much sort of for rent or made to order. You know, the bespoke music of someone sitting down to write a score for a movie. That to me would be the most intimidating thing ever. Um, and there are people that can do it. There are people that write jingles for, you know, okay, we've got this new McDonald's rap. You know, write the song. Or the the pledge, you know, or the or the the, the Swiffer. You know, write me a song. It's it's really <laughs> impressive. And for as commercial and garbagey as it can be, you realize why it sometimes needs to be needs to be as garbagey as it is, because it's like what the hell do you write about something that's a mop? You know? Uh, it's impressive when it's done right, when it's done well, when it's done clever. Maybe they should just use. Maybe they should just use the twelve bar blues. Exactly, Definitely. exactly. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw the opening to the Tonys that happened. Uh, whatever that was, Monday night or whatever that was, the Tony Awards with um, what's his name, uh, Doogie Howser sang the opening. Um, it, it was it was so. Neil Patrick. The only Harris. thing I'm thinking is, yeah, I was thinking Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Neil, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Harris did this opening number. They're, They're both, both Neils. Yeah. I, my brain farted for a moment. Go ahead. Regardless what you think of theater or <laughs> musicals or whatever, it, it was so freaking impressive, just from a songwriting point of view, let alone a production standpoint and a performance thing. I mean, just just out of the park. And, and you know they wrote that you know relatively quickly. This was done for an award show. So what, did they have a month maybe? I don't know. Um 
boy, r- really impressive, really, really impressive in terms of bespoke, bespoke songwriting. But at a certain point, you had to deal with that with the 365 Days of Astronomy theme that you wrote, where you had to say, okay, i got to write about astronomy, and okay, now I have this challenge to fit, you know, not just write about anything for whatever album I want to do, it's uh, I need to fit this square hole. No, th- th- that song is a perfect example, because uh, I knew it had to be you know, the theme song for this astronomy podcast. And, okay, so you're dealing with stars and black holes and telescopes, and what's the thing? And, and to me, you know, the joke that I found was, I'm going to tell you, you know, how, the, you know, specifically, mathematically, scientifically, the distances that we're dealing with in a way that you're probably not going to understand. And then the punchline is, it's far. You know, and I thought, okay, it's a little bit of a cheat. It's a little bit of a cheap thing, but I had a, a hooky enough of a song or a, or, a, or a lyric or a riff or whatever that it worked. And initially, that was just a chorus. That was a 30-second theme that I wrote and was done. Chorus, in and out, this stuff is far, ha, ha, great, nicely done, cute. And then they wanted to fly me out for this conference and have me sing. And I thought, all right, if they're going to fly me out to the other coast and have me sing, I should probably write more than the 30 seconds I've written. So I ended up writing the rest of the song and just sort of expanded on that idea. So so then you get the song challenge going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sort of, okay, extend it. And I, I literally was writing it on the plane, the last verses, you know, as, as I was landing in, in California and was going to perform it that night, I was, I was writing the final, you know, choruses out as, as the plane was landing. So, but I, I always, I always deal much better in those circumstances of like, this is your deadline. You got You got to finish it. I always work better. I had a, a similar situation on my, at my dad's retirement, and I wanted to write him a song because he, he wrote all these silly songs for, at, at his work. He worked for Mobile Oil Corporation. And so he, he'd write all these very Mobile Oil Corporation-y type of songs. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to write him a song. And so on, on the flight from Lubbock to Dallas, I wrote, rewrote the lyrics to Me and Julio Done by the Schoolyard and got the last two verses written as I was landing <laughs> to go in play. Right, nice. At his retirement. But, yeah, you know, I had, what, a year to do it. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. But deadlines deadlines are a great thing. I mean, I, I impose... That's another thing about songwriting is you sort of... If you impose deadlines upon yourself, it tends to... If, if that matches your personality, that seems to work. It works for me. I have to say, all right, I am having an album mm-hmm. release party on this date, which means the album has to be done by this date, which means the songs have to be done by this date. You know, you sort of instill that kind of a rigorous timeline, hopefully, to be able to do stuff. Otherwise, you just, you know, it's never going to be exactly the way you want it to be, so it has to be as good as it can yeah, be. Yeah, work, work your way backwards. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, like they say, I mean, it's you never, you never finish a piece of art, you just walk away from it. Well, that's why the song challenge has worked well for me, because I wrote a few songs in high school, and it wasn't I didn't have a lot of, I don't know, motivating factors to get more music out there. Plus, I was a young, stupid kid. Uh, but now with the song challenge, it said, okay, we are going to premiere a new song by this date at the end of the month. I got to do it. I got to get creative. And that's one of the biggest things about whether you're doing you know, stand-up comedy or music or filmmaking, one of the best practices to get good is just keep doing it and just make yourself do it yeah it's a very unglamorous unromantic kind of idea that 
one outside of the sphere of creativity tends to think that there is this divine inspiration or inspiration of some kind. And it just it just doesn't work that way. I mean, occasionally it feels like that, but for the most part, it's just a stupid slog of just sucking. And you just suck and you suck and you suck and you suck. And it's like, oh, okay, this sucks less. And then you suck and you suck. And, oh, this sucks a little bit less. And it's a, it's a very gradual, you know, line on the graph of quality. It just takes time. It's the, it's the 10,000 hours. It's however you want to look at it, whatever, whatever metaphor or scientific, you know, terms you want to use. It's just input of effort resorts, resorts, resorts in something decent over time. And it, there's no magic. There's no magic solution. So that that kind of raises the question on how important is it to you to have uh, the perfect release? I mean, how much how much are you willing to let go in? Uh, I, I'll just use the word you know sloppiness or or feel to because you you hear these these albums out here and and they're all electronic and they're they're perfect right and then you hear something like i don't know uh well a lot of the jazz albums but let's say a couple of this uh sting's latest albums where he went for the feel more than the perfection of the performance you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i mean that's that's also a bit of a you know there is a weird humans can be um incredibly precise Humans can be unbelievably exact in their carrying out of a specific task. If that specific task is recreating a song that Sting has written, you know, it's incredible how talent and effort and time can make stuff that is just unbelievably accurate. Um, yeah, the, the mechanical electronic feel of something that's done by a machine is not going to have the microscopic imperfections of a human's performance. But if you get really good humans, boy, it can be really good. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't like sloppiness for sloppiness's mm-hmm. sake. Um, and for me, you know, to try to get something as good as it can be within the context of who's doing it. I, I know what my guitar skills are. I know what my drum right. skills are or my singing skills are. And it's often... You try to shoot just above your ability, so that's you know, that, that, that's what you're shooting for. Because mm-hmm. hopefully you can inspire some kind of excellent performance. If you only shoot for the stuff that you know or you know you can pull off, then the inspiration tends to proportionally pull back a little bit. In my experience, so you try to just push yourself a little bit beyond what you're capable of. Hopefully you hit the mark, or you hit you know ninety percent of it, or ninety five percent of it, and 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 then you move on. I mean, it's 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 let the it idea. Yeah, you let it go because the something that's ninety percent correct is is a million times better than something which is a hundred percent correct that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's forty percent correct, forty percent of what you want it to be. And you record it, and you try, and it's a failure, but it's recorded, or it's written, or it's painted, or it's videotaped, or it's edited, or whatever. That thing which exists is a million times better than that perfect thing which is still in your brain. And it's something that's very right. prevalent amongst people that create stuff. Is they there are there's a thousand reasons to wait to do something. You need a better microphone. You need a better 
screen, you need a better guitar, you need better strings, you need a better studio. You will never have, you know, the perfect set of circumstances to do something. Um, however, and that right. project is perfect in your mind. That song, that single, that movie, that video, that sketch, that that whatever, is is freaking perfect in your brain. And as soon as I get that good mic, boy, I'm going to put this down, and it's going to be awesome. Well, no, screw you. It's not going to be awesome because it exists only in your brain. The the crappiest piece of garbage which is recorded is a million times better than than the thing that is perfect in your head. Uh, I, I find so you just gotta, yeah. pl- you know, you gotta fill up the the, the pie chart of percentage <laughs> that exists as best as you possibly can, <laughs> as best as you possibly can. And it doesn't mean that you yeah. know you're gonna be happy, but at least the thing exists. You learn from it, and then you go again. I mean, I have six albums. There's no reason why I should have six albums, and it's not yeah. you know I have probably two albums worth of material in those six <laughs> albums, but. You know, you make them. I have, you know, you you guys have a hundred podcasts. I have over three hundred. You know, really? what? There's maybe seven hours of good stuff on there. I don't know, but but it's you know a really good <laughs> stuff. But there's but there's you know hundreds of hours otherwise of something that just exists. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. again, very, a very unglamorous answer. Well, I think the best part about those of us who who are doing these podcasts is it really at least has taught me to once the episode is done, say you know what. That was as good as I could make it at the time. Now I move on because we got to do another one next Absolutely. week. I can let that go and not hold on to that of, oh, my God, I, I, I said um too many times or I forgot to mention um, uh, Christopher Hitchens died. Sure. Or I don't know. You, you want to well, you learn from I, for it? For me, it's, it's, like, it's like looking at the movie Life of Pi, which won for Best Cinematography. That was a perfect setting because it was 95% CGI. It was, it had everything to make it perfect. Whereas you look at a movie like Skyfall or uh, Django Unchained or Anna Karenina, which were all nominated at the time, these guys, in my opinion, deserved it more because they were working in an imperfect setting. And sometimes that imperfect setting makes for something better than something that is technically perfect. Well, sure, because you get the serendipity going, because uh, I have that happen all the time with, with bands that come in that they record or, or whatever, where just the act of actually playing it uh, leads it in a different direction that makes it so much more musical and have more feel than, say, if I had programmed it or whatever, or working with it. That's why, I, yeah, that's why I love not saying that a song, at least a song is done when I record it. I'd like to work it out live a few times so they can say, oh, that quite didn't work well, but this riff that Gary played when I was soloing was like, oh, that was neat. I should add that to future performances, and you can work that out a little bit more for the final product, whatever you decide is going to be final. Yeah, but doesn't that also, I mean, I remember looking, uh, seeing this documentary about Chuck Jones, you know, the illustrator, the uh, the animator, rather, for you know, Bugs Bunny and, and, and all those famous Warner Brothers cartoons. And it talked about him creating these worlds, you know, so that when, when you see an interesting shot of, you know, the cat falling down the stairs or whenever it may be, the dog, you know, the dog worried that the kitty has been baked in the pie, you know, and that, that, that worrisome sense that comes across the dog's face, that is all created, you know, in situ out of nothing. And it's really impressive. 
so which is which is more difficult you know to mm-hmm. grab and create it's, it's just an inter- interesting point that you made down which 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 is more difficult or which is more uh inherently artistic create something mm-hmm. out of whole cloth or capture something which exists hopefully through serendipitous moments you know like like uh, you look at uh, any mm-hmm. any pixar film any pixar movie none of that exists you know those are those are literally numbers those are just numbers in in a computer you know and whether you're looking at up and you see like the polaroids in the first 10 minutes that look like polaroids of the of the husband and wife that just make you cry because this guy's looking at his, you know, his wife who's pet spoiler, his wife who died, um, oh. and then it, it hits you like that. That Polaroid doesn't exist. That Polaroid isn't real. It's just numbers, and yet it completely uh, engenders or or uh, it, it gets an emotional response out of the viewer. Boy, that's freaking impressive. That is beyond impressive to do that by using math. But they've also had a. F- a thousand hours of meetings and revisions just on that one moment of looking yeah, at sure, a Polaroid. Sure. They've crafted that over hours and hours and hours. That was not an accidental, like, oh, cool, that's really neat. There's there's different art to both of those. There's an art to studio recording, and then there's a, an art to playing live of capturing the energy of a moment and thinking of something on the fly that just changes things sure, entirely. Sure. Well, it's like the most famous scene in The Artist. The scene where he walks up in his suit, his his tuxedo is in the window of the pawn store, and he walks up, and that reflection of him wearing it, that was pure accident. It was something that happened, they caught it, and it was beautiful, right. and it got thrown into the film. Right, right. Whereas Life of Pi, everything, you know, except for the actors, is digital. Yeah, yeah. And it's so perfectly controlled. Yeah, well, so was Star Wars Episode 1, 2, and 3, so... Yeah, yeah we don't we'll, talk we about talk those. About <laughs> and we're not going to talk about Star Wars, The Legend of the Lens Flare, coming soon. <laughs> Donna didn't care for Star Trek. No? Okay. Yeah. No. I've got I've got lens flare going on right now. It's a shame you can't see it, George. It, you'd just be blown away by the intensity of the lens flare off my head. I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's either he points the camera up towards the light at the ceiling, or we just stare at his crotch for an hour as we record the podcast. Really? That's it? Both have <laughs> that's that's the only two we both got. have their positives and negatives. But. Sure, blame the podcast. Very interesting. <laughs> we can we can start asking you, George, some interview questions like discuss your resume, tell me how you handled a difficult situation. Which I think you actually covered on one of the podcasts with the um, uh, was the, the German festival you were performing at. Right. What? 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 Why should we hire you? What? What job do I get if I? Yeah. Guest on the podcast. Is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. This is this is just a preliminary interview. Oh, to I see. see. If we're actually going to edit this. <laughs> if you do well tonight. You get to host TAM 2013. Oh, sweet. That's that's pretty bold there, Greg. Uh, <laughs> oh, has he already taken that job? Uh. So are you in full prep mode for having to do the hosting of TAM 2013? 
Or how much of that are you doing extemporaneously on the moment, besides the songs you write before people oh, show yeah, up on God, stage? Oh, yeah, God, no, I haven't even... I mean, I have an idea for an opening, but I haven't done any of it. I'm actually in the middle of DVD production right now. We're finishing up our 21812 uh, live Geologic Orchestra DVD, uh, which will be out in a couple weeks. So I've, I'm so ensconced in that that I know that uh, on, the, on the other side of that, then I'll be able to write and record, hopefully, uh, an opening for... For Tim, I don't know if I'll be doing songs again this year. That was that really took a lot out of me because those were being written. Those were you know eight hour days of just writing whatever it was you know ten little mini songs a day. That was crazy. Um, so I might I might do something different this year. I'm not sure what, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll think of something at some point. But I probably won't be doing songs again. But but there will be an opening. They, they've given me another 15 minute opening slot, which I have a. I have the idea for, so that's why I'm not quite as worried about it. If I had no idea at this point, I'd be, I'd be nervous. But I have a concept which I think will work. If it doesn't, then I'm I'm scrawd, but uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I'm going to stroke your ego here for a second and say that you have done something which has been the best addition to any conference I've ever seen, which is the song... Make sure your question's a question. Ah, yes. Thank you. Because we as skeptics and atheists, either because we never get to talk about what we do because nobody wants to hear us talk about, you know, why there's no God or why a rainbow looks like a rainbow, but we do love to hear ourselves talk. Yeah. So <laughs> as long as you do that, that'll be a big help. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've been to enough. I mean, that the... the the start of that was literally being at a conference where you know your 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 hero is sitting up there, <laughs> and you want to hear him or her talk as much as possible within their allotted time, and then you know some person, some stranger who ha- is a lovely human being on every level, I am sure, but you know it's not about you. So ask a question. Don't tell a story. Don't say what your opinion is. Don't say you agree. Like, it's lovely that you do, and that's great, and have your blog talk about that. But to just get up and kind of say that you agree with the person who is there, you know, <laughs> because they are famous for whatever reason, that it just, it just, that's very strange and very odd for me to see someone do that. So I wanted to subtly make a song that says, make sure your question's a question. It's not a forum. It's not a blog. It's not a, uh, it's, you're not a panel member. Just something that is a sentence, which is a question, will make everybody happy. And a, and a, a well-placed question can be awesome and is a challenge. You should practice what you're going to say. It should be one or two sentences and, you know, do it. So, yeah, so I, I've done it the last two years. Uh, every year so far, it's been in a different style. It was a waltz the first time. It was a tango last year. Maybe I'll do who knows what this year. Maybe death metal. <laughs> but we know one song style it's not going to be in. <laughs> Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, if you ever need a mandolin backup, let me know. Good to know, good to know, cool. (laughs) All right, uh, so uh, do we want to move on to the lightning round and then see where that takes us? Lightning round! Lightning round! All right. Woohoo! Lightning round! Lightning round! Yes, the lightning round, where we are given 90 seconds to fill in the Blake answer that Greg will read out to us. That's about it. It's real easy. Uh, Donna, do you want to go first, since you won last sure. time? Again. We'll let And George can probably figure out how it works from he'll there. He'll listen in and figure out what he got himself in for. <laughs> okay. Uh, Donna, you will have 90 seconds, and the timer will begin. Uh, Gary, do you have your timer ready? Yep, I got it. Yay! 
Your timer will begin as soon as I finish your first question. All set? Ready to go. Uh, a jury in Bexar County, Texas, acquitted Bear. Ezekiel Gilbert of charges that he murdered a Craigslist ex- escort because she blank. Uh, she wouldn't put out, she didn't have sex with him. Exactly. A recent study of the skeletons of nine Medici children born in the 19th century Medici. shows that they all suffered from blank. Rickets. A collaboration between artist and researcher Nicolay Lam and, and a computational geneticist hypothesized that in 100,000 years, humans will have larger blank but surprisingly Caucasian skin. Uh, eyes. Or skulls. Both, yes. After a discussion of the Bilderberg Group on a BBC Sunday Politics show, presenter Andrew Neal described blank as the worst person he had ever interviewed. Oh, Alex Jones. Holy crap. Yep. <laughs> a New York Times article by Paul Offit describes that despite Katy Perry's advice, many studies show that the there are potential harms to taking blank. Uh, potential harms to taking supplements. I'll give that to, one to you. Vitamins. Uh, in a article in the British Archaeology, describes a a century long centuries long hi- history of ritual murder and disrespectable burial of blank in sections of Kent, England. You know, and I'm the one who posted this article, I'm sure, and I have no idea. <laughs> Foreigners, possibly slaves. Uh, vegetarian, uh, vegetarians, veterinarians at an Israeli zoo are working to cure a Sumeria, Sumatran tiger of chronic ear infection, and now they're trying blank treatment. Uh, uh, acupuncture. That is correct. Congratulations, Donna. Wow. Thank you. You got six correct and only one wrong. Excellent. Very good. Nicely done. Nicely done. Very nice. Uh... Right, George, to go next. You ready, George? Hit me. All right. <laughs> You'll have 90 seconds, and uh, that'll be once I've finished your first question. In an effort to preserve bee colonies and promote genetic dis- diversity, researchers at Washington State University are proposing a blank. Bee pornography. <laughs> Close bee sperm bank. That's pornography. (laughs) I think we give that one. Uh, Civil rights groups are filing ethics complaints against Texas Judge Edith Jones after she allegedly said that racial groups like African Americans and Hispanics are blank. Oh, inherently uh, uh, lazier? Or less likely to work hard? Uh, I'll give that to you. Okay. Predisposed to crime. Um, Uh Biologists have discovered that the uh, female southern bottletail squid eats blank as an aid to growth of her unfertilized eggs. Oh, uh, uh, is it it semen? That's correct. The sperm of the mating male. Sperm of the mating male. Yeah, I don't know if that's semen, but yeah. An Australian study of child health and same-sex families found that children of same-sex couples scored higher on the net than the national average for blank. Oh, for everything. Like, yeah. Mainly overall health and family cohesion. Yeah, but like everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, according to a new study, the number of New York parents who had their child blank due to religious reasons uh, increased over the past decade. Circumcised? Or 
skip uh, vaccines. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, one last question. Yep. TV infomercial, TV infomercial per- pitchman Blank is facing possible incarceration for his pe- failure to pay a $37 million court-ordered sanction over his misleading television ads. Oh, uh, uh, it, uh, they don't want you to know about... You got, you're almost there. Uh, uh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, uh, um, damn it, I have a sign with his name on it and a big thing with a thing. <laughs> Kevin, Tr- Kevin Trudeau, Kevin Trudeau, Kevin Trudeau. Yes. yes. Jesus. All right, not bad, uh, Gary. Not bad, George. <laughs> Thank you. You got thanks, Steve. Four correct and two wrong, so uh, pretty right. good. So well done. If, the, if the trend continues, I should probably get two two correct. It's <laughs> not always linear, but okay. Yeah, I, may, I may I may only get one. It's been that kind of week. We'll see how we go. You ready, Gary? Indeed. All right. Um, tourist Corrine Federer was taking a picture of Muirderslot Castle in the Netherlands and claimed she pe- uh, captured a picture of a blank. Probably a ghost. The other one, a UFO. Oh. St. George, Utah man Roger William Kelly told police that he allegedly had sex with his unconscious neighbor in order to... Uh, cure diabetes. <laughs> Save her life in an attempt to warm her. <laughs> uh, entomologists have found that uh, us, uh, por- porphyria. Uh, oh gosh, I'm going to go on to the next one. <laughs> According to a Daily Mail, a man from China's Binzhou, Shandong province, claims that he has a blank that was electrocuted by a rabbit, rabbit trap. Rabbit uh, al- trap. Uh, alien, and it turned out to be a rubber alien. alien. Uh, 19-year-old Maureen Kelly is still messing after she set out on a spiritual quest in the woods of Washington, <laughs> equipped with only blank. Uh, a fanny pack. And nothing else. She was naked. In a recent private meeting, Pope Francis acknowledged his idea and his concerns about a blank within the Vatican. Uh, a, a gay, uh, a whole bunch of gay priests who who formed together to... Which he called a gay lobby. Gay or, it's lobby. Called a, yeah. or it's called a fanny pack. <laughs> or a mafia. Uh, the Duma rushes low lower house of parliament unanimously passed a bill that would impose heavy fines for anyone providing information about blank to anybody under 18 uh contraception homosexuality oh hmm. not too bad gary but um i'm afraid you came in dead last this week yay <laughs> <laughs> again you had you had three correct at which least. is more than they had last week <laughs> still very impressed you got the bronze <laughs> I, I get, I get the. I guess that's the red ribbon. It's blue and then white and then red. Yeah. I get the sure, let's go ribbon. with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it worked in sixth grade. Oh, so so George, here's some interesting uh, uh, parallels between you and I. You uh, go by Geo, and my middle name is. Oscar, so my recording studio is actually G.O. Recording. <laughs> Go figure. Weird, uh-huh. uh, spooky. And I think I think we also have the uh, a similar education experience, except that I dropped out and then played in bands and uh, went into electrical engineering too. But uh, 
Started on drums. Similar. So we have so we have the same educational experience, except you didn't get a degree, <laughs> and are, are now an electrical engineer. It's yeah, like you guys were twins. It's identical. Yeah. Separated, but yeah. I think there was there was something else that was oh, and we both took up guitar. Why did you take up guitar anyway? I took it up because I got tired of hauling drums around for a while. Uh, I originally studied it in eighth grade way back because my mom thought I should learn something to accompany my percussing, percussing, percussivizing. And then my my roommate in college was a guitarist. So there was a guitar in the room, and he started showing me a lot more stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a better experience than I had in college where uh, my freshman roommate, I came back one night and one of his friends had taken my guitar out from underneath the bed, out of its case, and was playing my guitar as if that's just okay to do. Mm. <laughs> Needless to say, I was a little miffed and switched roommates as soon as I could. Okay. <laughs> you know what else, Gary, we have in common is that you know, you're know you in Texas, and I occasionally like to have Texas toast. Ah, well, So that's very similar. It's very, it's almost, yeah, again, adding to the spookiness. Well, I, I, like, I like Pennsylvania Amish furniture, so... Wow. And we've never been seen <laughs> together, too, so who knows? This might be a, an elaborate ruse. <laughs> so, An impressively uh, pre-recorded two tracks from Gary or George, whichever whichever <laughs> one you are. Yes. So um, uh, in, in your college experience, it, you uh, you did applied studies, right? Uh, I don't know, for I don't know if it was called that. What, what, maybe that's a different term. I mean, I was, I was a performance major. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, per, yeah. Yes, performance. Yeah, not an education thing, yeah. I was education yeah. major for about seven hours, and that's when I realized <laughs> I realized that that degree would involve dealing with children. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what got I, me out of it, too. <laughs> yeah, I withdrew. I was like, oh, oh, right, yeah, teaching. Yeah, sorry. So I went to University of North Texas, and their big thing was the the drum line and the drum and bugle corps for both the performance everything is that uh, did you have a similar experience at at your college or no we had no marching band at moravian at the time there was there was just a small pep band that played for football games which ended up basically being kind of the my rock band we sort of snuck in and and kind of would would do our own tunes and that and there was a couple horns that played along a little bit but for the most part it was a just a, a, a stadium kind of band but what was nice about my college experience was that there were a number of different types mm-hmm. of ensembles that if you could handle the load, you were allowed to do as much as you wanted. So I would be in multiple jazz bands and orchestra sure, and sure, wind cool. ensemble and pep band yeah, we, we and choir had a, we had a similar and, thing, but the, you know, little renaissance groups, whatever. Uh, fall, that that was really was cool. One of the most sort of beneficial things of be going to Moravian. <laughs> <laughs> if you could hold two sticks, you're in. No, no, no. no this, was, this was a professional drum line. They were... Ah, okay. They, they would go to the PASIC conventions, the Percussive Arts Society yeah. and the National Conventions, and they were banned for uh, at least the, the year that I joined. We we weren't allowed to to compete because they'd won for the previous five years, and then the next year <laughs> sure. we won again. But you know we'd wait, we'd stay up until four o'clock in the morning, six days a week, and then have to go to eight o'clock classes for you know two months while we were working on this stupid show. But it was a very good experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never I've never done drum line. I, I I can't. I've tried to get into it. I have friends that are in drum drum and bugle corps and and are always playing me things, videos, and showing me stuff. And I just 
I could never I could never get into it. It was much more of a it was much more of a sport than an art from from my taste. It, it was it was a lot of fun because you I don't know, you've got what forty five people just just on for what, ten minutes. Sure. And so that sure. that was pretty cool. But it's certainly in, in the South the drum and bugle chords cores are, are huge. It's, it's the big thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you're if you're a drummer, I, I had actually in in, in high school I, I wasn't into the drum and bugle, but I was good enough to get on the UNT drum line uh, when I when I started. But like all of those guys were just oh yeah, I was with the Blue Devils and I was blah blah blah. I was like oh yeah, I never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like the Police and in Rush though. <laughs> Zappa. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's impressive. It's impressive. The, the stuff is impressive. It's just that there's not there's not much music there for my for my taste. Mm. It's impressive as all get out, and it's it's much more acrobatic than it is. Yes, musical for for me. I mean, the same way that you know Cirque du Soleil isn't dance. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's like God, that's really impressive. You have amazing abs, <laughs> but. <laughs> Drumline to me is kind of like the equivalent of that of like wow that's incredibly precise and spot on but okay yeah is it yeah. is it music kind of like how there's not a lot of rewatchability if you go see Stomp it's like oh yeah that's kind of fun <laughs> the driving rhythms and all that but okay I've seen it I don't have to see it again yeah interesting right right yeah but even that's a little bit more organic and a little bit more more freestyly you know more akin to you know, tap yeah. dancing or something that has a certain fluidity and looseness to it, as opposed to you know Busby Berkeley super choreographed out the out the ass kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I saw Stomp three times and enjoyed it every time. All right, I'm wrong again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Anything else? Anybody else? Anybody else? You have any questions for us, George? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you now? Gary, you're not from Texas, you said originally. Uh, no, you're I from was, Jersey. No, oh, Greg's Greg, from Jersey. Greg's not originally from Texas. Oh, okay. So, Greg, what what brought you um, to Texas? The end of my engagement. <laughs> and ah, and he said, was, okay. So you were engaged in Jersey um, and ran away. Well, or? okay, that's an even longer story than that. <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey, went to college in Ohio, and then moved to Los Angeles for a long time. My okay. fiance and I moved to Chicago, and then I got laid off and that relationship ended and I happened to need a job at the time so I'm the one who moved away and that brought me down to Texas for a new job. So I've kind of been a bit of a vagabond Did, ever since college. Yeah. Did you find the job first or you went to Texas found and then the job found the first? Job? It was one of those things where wow. it was um, I lo- the, the job I had was for a hair care company and they were bought by Procter & Gamble and because of that because of that purchase, um, we were being outsourced, so I signed a severance package, and the week after that, in 2008, the economy went to shit. So ah. it started out with a process of looking for jobs in Chicago. Yeah, I had to look further and further away from Chicago, and that eventually brought me down here. But it's it's at least one of those things that, from my philosophy of having, from my point of view, it's, well, if those things hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be where I am right now. And there are some pretty neat things going on. You know, doing sure. Star Trek Five, man. We need our pain. Yes. I want my pain. I love my that's, pain. If, if you learned anything from Star Trek Five, that's the thing. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Besides, 
the rest of that film is that rest of that film is 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 okay. I mean, it's like it makes up for it. It makes up for the rest of that movie. <laughs> it really does. I mean, it's like I, I I you know I'm a Star Trek nutsoid, but and that film I actually I don't mind that movie. I mean, it's it is what it is. But that scene is actually rather important in the in the sort of humanity's attempt at dealing with civilization and the modern modern problems of existence. And it's your pain, if you use it right, can can motivate you and can teach you better than anything. So I love I love that scene. I love that thing where he's like, you know, no one else gets it. Everybody everybody wants yeah. the quick fix. Everybody on the ship wants the quick fix. Even his you know, even his crew to some degree. They want that thing to be. They want their pain erased. And and Kirk and all of his all of his knowledge, all of his understanding of what's involved of making difficult decisions of making wrong decisions. He says, No, screw you. I I, I need I need this. This is what this is what defines me. These bad decisions. These this this pain that I've experienced. That's a, there's not much literature, let alone popular literature, that'll that'll talk about that choice. It's always about the erasing of pain. It's always about the about the getting rid of the trauma mm-hmm. in one's existence, especially in a you know in in a in a genre which is a feel good genre. You know, for the most part, science fiction movies, movies in general, adventure things are dealing with ideas of a feel-good resolution of problem solving. And in the middle of this, you know, this idea of resolving problems, he says part of resolving problems involves not resolving problems. <laughs> That's a pretty bold and difficult thing to kind of come across, especially in freaking Star Trek V, where all of a sudden, oh, Spock, by the way, has a brother. Oh, screw you, Spock has a brother. What? <laughs> <laughs> so that makes that that's that scene is I, I i love that i love that thing. i'm gonna break kind of one of our informal rules and talk about another podcast um i've been recently started <laughs> listening to a podcast on the nerdist network called mission log where they're going through episode by episode and discussing not just you know trivia about the episode or anything but getting into well what are the moral lessons and messages that came out of each episode even if it's right. a kind of a, a an adventure episode like the one with uh, the mirror mirror where it's just the opposite universe and okay but there uh, even going back to the original series something in 1960s coming through with these humanistic messages these um skeptical messages it's it's something sure. you very, know, very forward. they had lost in space at the same time gunsmoke or whatever it's like this was out there when that happened and it reminds me just how much that those kind of that media can really form your skeptical secular opinion very early on. Absolutely, yeah, more so than anything, really, because you just you're not approaching it from how can I better my life or how can I better my critical thinking skills. You're thinking like, oh, cool, yeah. phasers, awesome, <laughs> and then it sneaks in there. It's like watching Mash, you know, as a kid and realizing mm-hmm. that Hawkeye, although he never says it outright. But is a skeptic atheist, anti-war pacifist, you know, in the middle of a series about war. And as a kid, you're watching this, and he's the funniest guy. He's the one that really knows what's going on. He's the one that can kind of get one up everybody else. To me, that was like a huge influence. Yeah, like, oh, okay, Hawkeye. This is this is where he's at. You know, through humor, through skill, he's an excellent surgeon, and he makes mistakes too. 
you know, similar thing. Yeah. So you're, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to see the, for all of the cheesiness that's involved with the original series, all of the kind of shortcuts and dramatic, over dramatic stuff, cheesiness of it. Uh, the ideas behind are actually pretty, pretty damn progressive. Yeah, even the half the original episodes in like the first couple seasons are all about what we're talking about with Star Trek five of, people are not progressing. They're controlled by a computer or they're controlled by this alien who pretends to be a god and Kirk says, no, 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 that's not good. We need to progress. Yeah, we can't stagnate. Yeah. Right, right. One of my favorite stories about the original series was, I guess, Nichelle Nichols was going to quit after the first year. And she was talking to Martin Luther King and he said, you can't. You are a black woman being treated as an equal on a starship in our future. We need you to play Uhura. We need that image so that our young girls can grow up and have this same model. Absolutely. It's that's still a that's still a problem, still a concern. That's why that's why uh Whoopi Goldberg wanted to be Guinan. You know, because she yeah. she was one of those girls that was influenced by Nichelle Nichols, who understood that in yeah, in the future there could be not only a woman but a black woman who would be treated as an equal of the crew. And so Whoopi Goldberg wanted to be Guinan so that she she could then influence future future, you know, kids and future generations. It's 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 amazing. It's really amazing and important. Everybody always talks about the Uhura ki- uh, kiss with Kirk as being ooh this big moment, but they always forget <laughs> the the really subtle things like the bridge has blown up and they they have to fix something. And the only person who can fix it, the person that everybody's depending on, guess who? It's Uhura. And her smarts in that knowledge, her electrical knowledge of communications, is the only thing that's going to save the day. The subtle things like the navigator gets killed, and without a second glance, Kirk says, Uhura, take over, and nobody bats an eye about it in the 1960s. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the whole the whole bridge crew, I mean, it's it's... You're, you'd be hard pressed to find a cast like that today, where you've got an African American woman, you've got an Asian, you've got at the time, you know, a Russian, a Soviet, you know, that would be like having a you know a, a member of Al Qaeda <laughs> be be in your show, you know, your future your future taking place show, whatever that because I mean that was unheard of to have a guy with a Russian accent be a good guy in 1960. No way! It's very, it's very progressive, very progressive stuff. The one exception to that, I think, is if you're going through the original episodes, they're really actually not very kind to the Irish, because <laughs> there's this Irish character Riley who gets goes insane and tries to take over the Enterprise, and he's running around singing Irish songs, and there are a lot of characters like that that you you see, but uh, that's the only exception, I think. Yeah, like- but the Irish deserve it though. <laughs> And they don't like people in red either, so very angry color red. Well, it's more visible. That's why more reds, red cars get pulled over by the side of the road. Yeah, but you don't see them getting pulled over and shot. Well, it is Texas. <laughs> well, <I think> that's <laughs> true. That's, yeah, every car gets pulled over and shot, <laughs> regardless of its color. Yeah. There's, but, there's no vehicular racism when it comes to Texas firearms. It's like uh, I pulled him over for speeding and shot two warning shots into his head. Well, yeah, I'm I'm skating on thin ice already, driving a Prius in Texas, so <laughs> hippie. <laughs> and no, when I moved to Texas, I did not have to put steer horns on the front of my Prius. 
you have the balls on the back? <laughs> no, they're somewhere else, but we won't discuss that. <laughs> I think you should. Paint them blue. That's for the next episode. <laughs> George, you want to do a, a little push on your on your DVD that's coming out? Yeah, the 21812 DVD is going to be out. Uh, I'm going to have them in hand for TAM, which is uh, July 13, whatever that is, 13, 14. I will have some with me there. So if you see me at TAM and you want to get one, uh, come up to me and we'll make that happen. And I should be shipping them out uh, at that same time. And they'll be available through cdbaby.com. Uh, and I think, once again, we'll be doing a golden ticket uh, offer so that if you buy the DVD, there might be a golden ticket inside, which means I will come to your house or to your skeptical group ooh, and do ooh. a concert And this time it'll you. be Singapore. So, <laughs> hey, man, whatever. I'll go. Uh, the last one worked out so well. I was in Finland for the last one. It worked out so well uh, after the initial freak out. It actually worked out really well, and I had a, an amazing time. So after that, I thought, you know what, we got to do this again. So there will be another golden ticket yeah. in the, and, in the and for, DVD. And for those people who don't know George, uh, you do get your money's worth when you purchase a CD from him. Uh, he's got really nice packaging and, of course, oh, the golden ticket nice. that you might win. And then you have to dance around saying, I've got the golden ticket. Yeah. Uh, plus, plus the music is exactly. good. Exactly. Well, this, this DVD <laughs> is kind of a... Well, yeah, this DVD is, is, is kind of all out. I mean, there's a, it's, a two, it's over a two-hour concert. There's uh, there's a you get an MP, MP3 version of the concert for your MP3 player. There's a, a four hours of commentary. There's a documentary. There's photos. There's uh, web ads that we did. Um, all and it's 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 like over nine hours of materials on this thing. So it's really it's really a a full blown out package. Awesome, great googly moogly. Yeah, it's very exciting. And Phil Plate, you know, what else do you need? He's got all that and and Phil Plate. So I can't I can't offer you anything else. Did you do a Twitter concerto or was it the uh this is the way the world will end? We did Deaths from the Skies. Okay. Yeah, he guested yeah. on uh, Death from the Skies. So he was he got to put his rock star outfit on and it was great. He looks really good in the assless pants. So Very awesome. Cool. I think that may bring us to the end of our of our recording session. Yes, an excellent. Hour and a half of stuff and well, um, I'll just say that uh, it's. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks at TAM, George. Yes, uh, yes, yes. You, of me, and so uh, basically we'll try to get together the three sober people at TAM and we'll toast with a Diet Coke. <laughs> you, Sounds me, and Benjamin. Sounds good. Perfect. <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much, thank George. You. Thank you. Gary, Donna, Greg, thank you awesome. so much. And we look forward to someday, well, Greg will see you in person, but hopefully someday Don and I will as well. Very I'm soon, trying to yes. get these Sounds two good. to come out to Skepticon at least. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Trying. It's all about time and money, man. <laughs> it's all about when do I not work. <laughs> okay, just because I don't have a life doesn't mean... <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you for joining us this week, Donna and Greg, and our guest george and we will talk with you at you with you whatever next week so goodbye bye bye (laughs) bye the skeptic wire podcast theme music is by oscar lawn with guest mandolin by greg perrine if you've enjoyed listening to the skeptic wire leave a review on itunes or leave us a voice message via the pod posted app for iphone 
Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. 